Hey everyone, James Labrie from Dream Theater, and you're listening to or watching the podcast Talking Into Infinity with JT and Brian. You're dialed into Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater podcast. Be a part of the show live every other Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube, Facebook, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, or the CMSNetwork.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Talking Into Infinity. I am your host, John. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, and the CMSNetwork.com. We are live at those four locations every other Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you are watching on YouTube, please do not forget to click that like and subscribe button so that you get notified every time we go live. If you would like to catch video replay, of the show, go to our YouTube channel or better yet, subscribe to Heavy Metal Television. And if you would like to download the audio versions of the show, just Google Talking Into Infinity Podcast and you can find us on any audio platform that you can think of. Very, very excited for today's episode. We have somebody on that I've actually been looking forward to talking to for quite a long time. If you guys have tuned into the show at any point over the history of the, you know, what is we at like 39 40 episodes we've been doing this you've heard brian and i talk about the phenomenal dream theater biography uh lifting shadows we've mentioned it so many times on the show i've read it cover to cover i can't even tell you how many times and it is a true honor and privilege today we have on the author of that fantastic book mr rich wilson rich what's going on man thanks for making time hi john yeah great to be here so yeah so I know we talked a little bit off air, so mm. you and I are kind of imbibing here. It's a, you know about seven yeah. o'clock your time. It's uh, you know two o'clock my time. So you've got some scotch, I've got some craft beer. So gonna have a great conversation. Yeah. Um, again, I, as I told you, I am a huge fan of the book. Uh, it is an absolutely fantastic read. Um, right out of the gate, talk about the genesis of the project. Like where where did this idea come from, and how did you get this started? Um, I think. I, I was doing an interview with Mike Portnoy for a classic rock magazine, which must have been before Train of Thought came out. So I would just end the conversation. I said, listen, you've got a great story. Someone should write a book. And he goes, well, <laughs> many people have suggested it, but no one's actually done it. So I sort of sat with that for a while. And then I dropped him a couple of emails, just sort of said, I'm thinking of writing it. And he, he basically said, well, how about you go away, write a couple of chapters, see what we think, and we'll we'll take it from there. Um so I interviewed a few people around the band, um, one of which was David Prater, who is a producer of Images and Words. And David is really kind of forthright in what he, what he says. Uh, it doesn't care, basically. Yep. So I, I sort of drafted the Images and Words chapter, sent it over to the band who were in the studio, and they were just like, you know, hell, we can't have this. So that kind of <laughs> spurred them into getting involved, really. So, yeah, that's, that's how it started. So that was probably, yeah. 2004 and then i started you know really doing getting stuck into the interviews probably a year later 2005 um so yeah that was the start of it 
So how how long did this take? I mean, was it did you was was it a continuous process or did you have to like go away from it and come back? Like how how did this you know? Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd sort of I'd do a bit and then leave it. So I mean, you know, the interviews were published in two thousand four, two thousand five, and the book came out in two thousand seven. So over those two years, on and off, I'd be working on it and you know slipping things into place. Um, Mike Portnoy was hugely involved in it. It probably wouldn't have happened without his involvement, I have to say. Um, so, you know, I remember they were in the studio recording Octavarium, and I was kind of speaking to him every day. We're just sort of covering a different album off. So, yeah, it soon started to form after that, really. Um, and then the other guys got involved to a probably lesser extent, in hindsight, than probably we would have liked. But, um, yeah, so that's... That's how it all came together. And the good thing was that everyone wanted to speak to me. So it kind of gives you a good idea that, you know, the band aren't, you know, they're well respected in the industry. So anyone I approached, apart from one person, was up for being interviewed, which was unusual. And uh, yeah, it was great. Really enjoyed doing it. So the one person I'm assuming is uh, Mr. Kevin Moore. <laughs> yes. I think everybody knows that. Um, yeah. Did, did you have any contact with him or did you just, did you send an email? Did you even get a response or was it just no? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did email him and he came back to me and said he wasn't interested. And it was just, yeah, I, I, what can you do? He, he's, <laughs> he's, got his, he's got his own life and wants to do what he wants to do. So you can't force anybody. And I, you know, I, I tried approaching him several different ways. And by the end of it, he was probably thoroughly sick of me. So in fact, <laughs> I remember he, he had a chroma key album coming out and we were supposed to do a, the magazine we're doing with an, an interview with him for it. And he said, he's happy to interview, but as long as it wasn't me, he was speaking to. So yeah, I thoroughly hacked him off, I think, which is a, a shame. Wow. But, yeah. <laughs> wow. So what, what is your history with dream theater as like a fan or, you know, yeah. wh wh how far back do you go with the, with these guys? So I was thinking about this today. I remember that there used to be, um, here in Britain on a Friday and Saturday night, there'd be a, a rock show. Um, on national radio and it was probably easter 88 that i the dj played a track off the first album i just thought it was amazing um and i spent weeks trying to get hold of a copy because every time you go into a record shop they'd be stuck you know, you'd never find dream theater it was always dream academy dream syndicate and all these <laughs> other bands and because it was an import as well so i finally got hold of it and i uh, just just blew me away so yeah, that album and then the next two albums again i just really got into and it took it from there really um yeah so now were, were you a writer at the time or how far back does your career let me let's get into a little bit of what you do outside of this because yeah. obviously we're talking about the dream theater book but but i mean you've got a pretty prolific writing career you know outside of that book so talk a little bit yeah, about well, that i started doing the right when i was at university i wrote for the the magazine there and interviewed a few bands and then i probably started doing it you know properly in 98 99 um, writing for different magazines and just built it up from there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been good fun. I have to say, um, but probably doing that book was probably the best thing I've ever done. I really enjoyed doing it. And yeah, to have the access like that was, yeah, you don't get that normally. So how much I, I have to, I have to assume that you probably have some stuff and I, I won't ask you to divulge this, of course, but I, I have to assume that you got some stuff out of the research process that you could not put into the book was there a lot of that or were you actually able to put pretty much everything into the book um yeah there wasn't much i mean that was a good thing no one 
no one in the band. I mean, it's it's utopia for a writer. It's you've got full access to the band. You can write what you want, and they don't want any editorial control over it. It's just unheard of, really. Um, so when it had been finished, I, in hindsight, I sent it over to Mike Portnoy, who read it, and there was nothing really taken out, a couple of corrections and stuff. And I had kind of assumed that the rest of the band had read it in full at that point, but that probably wasn't the case. Um, so there may well have been stuff that they wanted taken out, but yeah, I, I just had no clue that they hadn't um, hadn't read it really until it came out, which was yeah. So for you, what was the most difficult part of getting this completed? Um, getting it published, honestly, there was because Dream Theater, a cult band, um, mainstream publishers wouldn't look at it. Um, so I ended up speaking to a book production company and they were dubious as well. So you may remember we set up a website where people could register their interest. So we needed sort of four or 5,000 people to sign up just to get it, you know, printed, which, which happened in days. Um, and again, that was because of my Portnoy's input, sending out the emails to people. And there was a great forum community then as well. You know, the Mike Portnoy, com forum was fantastic it was a, a great place to sort of hang out and spread the word about what you were up to and people just bought into the whole thing and it was it was you know so once once we'd got the numbers up then it was all all go really um so yeah that was probably the hardest bit that there was it was yeah everything else was a dream really uh, yeah I, I remember when that site came up because you know i you know i i daily look at you know music news websites and i saw oh you know dream theater biography i was like what the hell and i i remember you know i i showed you you know off yeah. camera I've, I've got the images and words like big deluxe version and um i i could not go to that website fast enough and yeah. i i remember i actually put off paying a couple bills at the time just to pre-order no. the book no. I, I was like i have to have Charm. this <laughs> it was, that's insane my credit score is still okay though so thank you, know, you. So. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> no you're welcome like yeah i was i was so excited for it i remember seeing that yeah. going wow like and I, I i you know thought as you said man this is a cult band like this is going to be really cool so um a buddy of mine you know pre-ordered it as well um so man, it, so it was really just a couple days that you you raised that money, huh? That's awesome. Yeah, they got they got the sign up to the people who were interested within probably a week, and then it was just a case of probably you know a few months later they were kind of putting it out to order, and then yeah, it, it all went from there. But especially on that first edition, I just really wanted to do a really good job. Apart from the actual text, you know, make sure there was you say you've got the book of images there. There's a great CD with it of rare stuff, which again was down to Mike. So. Yeah, it, it was as a package. It was it was really good. Yeah, um, and so, a lot of people seem to buy into it as well, which I say was great. Yeah, well, like I say, like not not to fanboy, but it's it's a really great read. You know, um, you and I were talking before we jumped on here, mm. and as I said, you know, for anybody that hasn't read it, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of music biographies and whatnot, and most of them they'll get into you know really deep detail in the early years into the early years of a band mm. and then the later years are kind of just like glossed over like yeah they put some more stuff out but your book is different in that you have as much detail about albums like train of thought and octavarium as you do for stuff like awake and scenes from a memory and whatnot so talk a little bit about keeping that 
flow throughout the book and not just making it your standard, okay, well, they have this other stuff late in their career type of a read? I think it's because certainly on those albums, things happened, you know. Um, Awake, there was James had problems with his voice and then, you know, um, Falling Into Infinity, what a great album that was. Different with, with again, personnel change and then personnel change again. And it's just, uh, things happened. You know, obviously, I think if you look at the last 10 years of Dream Theater, probably that's one of the reasons I probably hadn't updated the book. Um, one, because I don't know if there's an appetite within the band for me to do it. And the other thing is it has kind of gone into that more, you know, write, record, tour cycle. Um, mm-hmm. And there haven't been personnel changes. And the albums are all great, but they're consistent. They're not, there's not like a poppy album. There's not a, a classic metal album. There's not a, you know, um, a prog epic unless you you obviously know, put the astonishing into that category but the rest of them are all just classic dream theater albums so it was just good you know because so many things happened during that time that you could really dig into it and certainly at that time mike portnoy was very open so if you asked the right question you would get a really straight answer um which again just just opened the whole thing up um because it was that time again you'll probably know better than me when they had a chat with james about you know, whether they want to continue with him as a singer, you know, and that, that all came out of just conversations that I had no clue about. It wasn't in the press. It just, you know, opened doors when, when I spoke to Mike really. Um, so yeah, there's just things happened. It just made it interesting. So I'm glad you brought up David Prater because, you know, in, in the course of your interviews and stuff, like I'd, I'd like to talk about, you know, talking with the guys and whatnot, but yeah, I think one of the most interesting parts of the book, at least for me was, you know, all the stuff that you have in there about David Prater. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, as you said, he, you know, was the producer on Images and Words. He was also the producer on the Change of Seasons EP. And it obviously was very contentious, that relationship. So talk a little bit about that and, you know, having to kind of balance being professional with wanting to put some pretty salacious details into the book considering as you said he's very direct yeah i mean that's great for a writer to have that you know it's better than people <laughs> being diplomatic who wants that you know you, you want <laughs> him to come out with stuff and he's he's great you know you should get him on the show i'm sure he would um but he's yeah i think the i think the bone can there was basically a between him and Mike, I don't think Mike was happy with the drum sound because he was effectively using electronic drums, which on the snare. So it has a particular, yeah, tight sound to it. Um, so I think they fell out about that. And obviously David just doesn't care what he says, you know, he's, he just comes out with it. And there was an incident later on when I think, um, maybe it was on, um, change of seasons, perhaps that, James and him nearly came to to blows in the studio, I think, or James was upset and had to walk around the studio for half an hour to calm down. But uh, yeah, so you just, stuff like that. It just comes in, you just slot it into the chapter and then just get the band to respond to it. It's great, you know. Um, You couldn't, you know, you just want people to be honest and just say what happened. And that's that's what I got with David. You know, he's great. I'm sure a lot of people would read the book and hate him, you know, just because he's, he's having a go at the band, but he's, he's great value. You know, he really is. He's had a really interesting life as well. So you, you should get him on. He's, he's gold. I, I would love to. I just... I don't know what I would ask him because it's like, you know, we've got a dream theater show. Is this guy going to come on to a dream theater show and just start slagging them? <laughs> like, <laughs> you got that worry going on. 
<clears throat> yeah, I know. Um, I actually interviewed uh, uh, John Petrucci a couple of years ago, mm. and off air, I had to ask him. I, I said, you know, is David Prater as big of a dick as he sounds like in the book? And he just kind of laughed and kind of glossed over the question. I was like, oh boy, I think he might have pissed off John Petrucci as well at some point. Yeah. Possibly. Um, but he's had a, yeah, in terms of a life, I know he was in prison for a while and there was all these, he's had a really interesting time. But yeah, that, I think that was the, just the crux of it. It was just the drum sound. And he's quite, you know, Mike Portnoy probably at that time was quite stubborn about what he wanted. And David's probably the same. So he just got that clashing of heads, really. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, good guy. So, Real quick Dream Theater question here for you. Yeah. We're talking about the triggers, and I think, if I remember right, uh, the triggers were from the Firehouse record. Yes. So um, I got to get your opinion on this. So there's the Images and Words version, and then the Greatest Hit record. You know, Mike mm. went back and redid the snare and the kick. What, I don't know if you're familiar with it or if you've paid attention to it because it's not a huge thing, but if you have, do you have a preference for one or the other? Do you know what? I haven't listened to that in years. I couldn't tell you. Okay. I mean, I, I, yeah, realistically, real drums sound better than triggered snares, don't they? Because there's right. more, there's more feeling in it rather than just, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I listened to it and I, something about the natural drums, it just doesn't sound right to me because I think yeah. we're so used to hearing images and words as it is, yeah. That it's kind of like, wow, that doesn't sound, you know, but um. Yeah, so uh, another great story in the book, which you know now is of course infinitely famous. Um, you know James's story about his bad breakfast in Cuba. Yeah, on the you know on the awake tour. So talk a little bit about that, like because obviously that's something that none of us knew, but it it affected him for years and years. I mean, he said you know that he did not get back to being you know vocally you know right. Mm-hmm. He felt until six degrees, which was you know eight years later. Yeah, I think he'd had some pork or something, and he ended up getting food poisoning and obviously being really, really sick and probably just doing his vocal cords in. So um, you don't hear it on the record, but obviously when he's out on tour, um, he was probably struggling for a year or two. Um, I think he probably admit that um, himself. But he's yeah, he's he's got back to it, hasn't he? You know, um, he can still hit the high notes and things. So yeah. I mean, that must have been, I mean, that, there's no hiding for a singer, is there really? You know, you're, you're there, you've got a microphone. It's not, you know, you can't hide behind your instrument. You're just in front of everybody singing. If something's off, then everyone's going to notice and comment on it. So, yeah, it must be difficult. Yep. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I still love the first album as well with Charlie on it. I mean, that's, I love that album. It's great. It's probably one of my favorite albums of Dream Theater. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's so underrated, isn't it? Yeah. It is. I think that's probably down to production. Um, and anyone who's got used to listening to James's vocals and then goes back to the debut, they probably just don't don't rate it because it's not James on there. But it is a great album. Um, yeah, I, the, our, our, I think it was our second episode. We deep dove into that record, and you know we've gotten a lot of emails about it. I'm I'm with you. Like it, it's very overlooked, and Charlie sounds great on that record. And mm-hmm. you know, I I completely agree with you. I really think it comes down to production. Um, you know, and there's the remastered version, which cleans it up a little bit. But, you know, those songs are just, you know, A Fortune and Lies is always a banger. Um, I'm a huge fan of Status Seeker. I know that's like mm-hmm. the last one they wrote and it's poppy. But like you said, there's so much going on there. It's just, you know, yeah. I think it slots in beautifully with, you know, those first three records just have a certain kind of classic 
feel to them. Kevin Moore's writing style was very mm-hmm. definitive and kind of like major key. And you know, I'm, I'm terrible at music notation, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm glad so. they brought that up. <laughs> My co-host Brian is usually on. He's he's actually a trained yeah. pianist and stuff, so he'll he'll get into all the keys and scales. And I'm like, it sounds good because it's loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was. I mean. I, I, only a matter of time what's one of my favorites as well the, the keyboards on that are fantastic and he is yep. i think that's the thing with dream that you look at the history the each of those keyboard players has brought something completely different to you know the sound um kevin was great you know the, lyrically he was great musically he was great then derek comes in and he's got a whole different vibe going on and then obviously jordan is again a classically trained you know um genius really so all the way through, they've had that, you know, that keyboard backing that's that suited them. Uh, I mean, what do you think? Who's your favorite keyboard player? I am a Derek Sherinian guy, mm. so um, I love all of them. Yeah. Um, but my favorite record, and this is, you know, it's actually a, j- a joke on the show. I, I catch a lot of crap from our fans for this, but um, uh, you know, I love Falling Into Infinity. There, mm-hmm. there's. It's it's a unique record to me. It, it's a little bit more loose. It, 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 there's more of a kind of a jam type of a feel to it that I really enjoy. And I th- I think Derek's keyboard playing is a little skews a little closer towards rock. Mm-hmm. So I, I I love what he brings to the table in that aspect of it. And I've just always been a big fan of his style. Yeah. So, but you know, I, I mean, that being said, I mean Kevin Moore, like I said, those first three records. You know, they're he's it, they're so definitive in their sound. You know, I mm. think that, that you know it's just up and positive and happy. And then Jordan, I mean, can do no wrong. So, um, I mean, do, do, what, what's your preference? Who, who's your favorite? Um, they're just so different. I mean, I do like Derek. Derek's, you know, if you, when you speak to him, he's great value for money. He's he's fantastic, and I love his keyboard style. He's he is more rock. He's, he comes from he was in Alice Cooper band, and he was he comes from that more of a rock showman background um yep. which i think i think the band needs sometimes you know when you on stage he was quite a focal point um so yeah i mean you, you can't deny any of them they're all brilliant but um yeah derek derek was different um which i think that makes the albums you know falling into affinity so good really um, so do you do you have a favorite dream theater record um Probably the first album and probably Images and Words, I would say. Okay. Um, awesome. Yeah. It's difficult. I think certainly anything Yeah, I mean, where do you start? I mean, they're so they're all so good, aren't they, really? Uh Scenes yep. from Memories is a classic as well, isn't it? Um but yeah. So those those yeah, those three or four for me. So Get, getting back getting back to the book mm. uh, and by the way anybody watching uh, if you shoot us an, e- an email at talkingintoinfinity at gmail.com the first person to get an email through to us you are going to win a copy of Lifting Shadows Rich's phenomenal biography of Dream Theater so talkingintoinfinity at gmail.com just shoot us an email for your chance to win a copy of the book um, you know we talked about David Prater we talked about the James mm. chapter um, I think one of the interesting things is that you have a pretty good amount of stuff from John Mayung in the book, and he does not talk very much. So, did you? Is it? Is, 
anything in the book, is that basically all you got from him? Or yeah. how much interaction did you have with John? Because he's notoriously quiet. Do you know, I spoke to him in probably, it must have been the Octavarium tour. It was at London Hammersmith Odeon. And it was the first time I, I spoke to him backstage. And yeah, that was a tough interview for me because he is so quiet. You know, it takes a while for him to open up. He's a lovely guy, but he's just not his bag. You know, he doesn't. It doesn't really do interviews. So the only interviews that I could get were maybe, you know, the odd press interview we've done and that, that one time that I spoke to him uh face to face. But yeah, he's you know, he's, everyone's different. He's just not that's just not his thing, really. Um so yeah, it was it was tricky trying to get his side of things, but um he wasn't one of the members of the band who'd been embroiled in any controversy or anything like that. So it was kind of okay that he was more peripheral to the to the story. Um, whereas obviously if any of the other guys had not been up for interviews, then that would have been more of a problem really. Yep. Mm-hmm. So did you, um, talk to anybody outside of the band, like bands they toured with? Mm. Um, was there, you know, I mean, you know, they had that infamous tour with Queensryche. You've got a great story. I'd like to get to in a minute about that tour. Um, did you, did you talk to anybody else that, and you know, some things that did not end up in the book? And if anyone I spoke to and it, it was straight in into the text. So I mean the bands I spoke to, there was, was uh, Ben Huggins, Galactic Cowboys, wasn't he? Um <laughs> yep. they and also I spoke to Chris Jericho for some reason. I guess he must have been at that there was a gig a, a gig where something kicked off. I can't remember the details of it. So I spoke to him and um yeah, didn't speak to Queensreich. Um I don't think the feeling between the two bands was that great when I was writing it because of that <laughs> that tour. So yeah, go on, spill what happened. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, if you're a Dream Theater fan, so what what was what were your thoughts when you know John told you the story about you know Mike Stone trying to give him tips and like, hey, do this, do that. Like, what the hell? Like, what was as a fan? What were you thinking when you heard that? Well, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. like it's like getting tips off poison or something, isn't it? Really. Um, <laughs> but nice. now he's a good. No, I mean, Queen's record great. They are a good band, but yeah, I mean, it's not. You don't do that, do you? Really, you know, tell someone that the guitar needs to be more soulful and stop it with the technical stuff. It's yeah, harsh. But I can imagine it didn't go around you know, down too well with John. Although, you know, Don, John Petrucci being who he is, he, it didn't sort of upset him as much as it upset Mike Portnoy, who. Yeah, I remember he was he had a dig back, I think, as you'd expect. Yep. Um so yeah, that was that was odd. Do you have a favorite story that ended up in the book? Um I think it, I mean it's not it wasn't, you know, the most um uplifting story, but I suppose managing to get hold of the band within a few days of Mike Portnoy leaving, that was useful because you could get all sides of the story. Um, so that that was really good to get that in. And that's, yeah, I was, we were literally preparing the the second edition when he left, so we had to kind of delay it and just find out what had, what had gone on there, really. Um, so, yeah, I was lucky to get the sort of inside story on that, um, because obviously I think they kind of shut up about it after the first month or two. Um, yeah, so that was that was good to get that. Um. Yeah, that I love that that's in the book. It's, you know, as soon as I saw that you had added that chapter, of course, I went out and, mm. 
you know, purchased it a second time. I mean, how how difficult was that to actually, you know, because you, you had this great relationship with them, obviously, you know, especially mm-hmm. Mike, like getting the book done and doing all these interviews. But now it's kind of like, you know, two different camps are kind of, you know, they're, I mean, the, the guy quit. And yeah. the rest of the band is like, what the hell? So, I mean, was, was there any difficulties there? Did anybody not want to talk about it? Or, Yeah, Mike didn't want to talk about it. He kind of sent me an email with a few details in there, much of which was in his, his the sort of press statement that he released. Um, and the rest of the guys did, did speak to me. Um, so, yeah, it was difficult, really. I, I was shocked, to be honest, when he left. Um, yeah, I just didn't think he'd ever have a leave but i suppose you look back um now and probably think the signs maybe were there that he would kind of yeah leave but um to me he was always such a great he was a central part of the band you know it's like john petruccia leaving to me it just didn't didn't make any sense but uh yeah um i don't think mike's done many interviews in the last couple of years full stop because every time he speaks to the the press or something someone takes a quote out of out of context <laughs> and chucks it on blabbermouth you know so yep um yeah it's i think i lost you for a second there um yeah that was man that was a crazy crazy time and i you know something i'd like to ask you if we get you back here i think you froze up on me there but um you know, that was something that, you know, was obviously widely reported and us, you know, being fans and everything like that, we're familiar with the stories. But I, I really wonder if there's any part of that that, you know, has not been reported, you know, like like how, how are the guys actually feeling, you know, because, you know, on, you know, John Petrucci's side and everything, we've seen the interviews with the band, like, oh, we were surprised and we were hurt. But, you know. I really wonder, and we'll see if we can get Rich back here for a second. Um, I really wonder, you know, what we haven't heard. You know, was there a lot of anger there? Was there animosity? You know, it's, we all know the stories, like, excuse me, you know, it went and did, you know, the liquid tension experiment record. How many years later, you know, over, you know, basically a decade later, they're finally playing together again. And, you know, Mike plays on John's solo record and, you know, for guys that grew up together, you know, they've been friends since, you know, they were teenagers. I really wonder what the true emotions were, you know, what was there. And, you know, at some point, I'm sure we'll get that. And, you know, man, it's, it's, that that's something that's always so fascinating to me because, you know, anybody who's watched the show knows I play in a band and I'm familiar with the, you know, interpersonal, you know, relationships that go on there. And it, there's so much more than what people see. And so it'd be, it'd be interesting to really, you know, years down the road, really dig into that. But, um, you know, hopefully we can get rich back here. Um, for those of you guys that are just tuning in again, uh, send us an email at talking into infinity at gmail.com. The first email that we receive, you will win a copy of lifting shadows and we got rich back. So there you are. (laughs) I'm, I'm kind of out in the sticks a bit. So sometimes the, uh, the uh, net cuts, cuts off, but we're good. Sorry about sure. that. Sure, not a problem. Not a problem. So, uh, yeah, I was I was wondering, you know, what the emotions were at the time for, for both camps, you know, Portnoy and the rest of the mm-hmm. band, you know, and, and having interviewed them both, what was your sense? Because publicly we got, you know, well, you know, 
you know, the band, you know, they were hurt. They were shocked. Mike was like, okay, I, I need a break. But having talked to them, was there something more to it? Like, how were they feeling? Like, how, how raw was that emotion? Um, yeah, I think certainly Jordan was very upset by it. I remember there was an interview with him where he said he was in tears sitting on this, on the back step of his garden when he found out and, you know, and I, I think the problem is when people leave, there's always business stuff that gets in the way. So that kind of, you know, would affect friendships when, you know, people have to start paying out sums of money for people and, and that sort of thing. So probably took a few years for that for them to get over that, which they finally seem to have done now, which is great. Um, but yeah, it must be just hugely difficult because you're, you're losing a friend and a bandmate that you've worked with for so many years. And then, as I say, the business side gets gets into it. And it yeah, it, it can't have been easy for either of them, really. So as a fan, hmm. when that news came down, what were your thoughts? Because all of us were like, how in the hell can Mike Portnoy leave Dream Theater? And, you know, so so what were your thoughts just from a fan standpoint at that point? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the thing with Mike was that he was more than just the drummer. He did he did everything. You know, he would. He was almost a fan himself. So that, that that's those are some of the things that I really miss. You know, like the if they were playing a second night in a city, the second night they'd always play a whole cover album. You know, in its entirety, and um, there'd be Christmas CDs and all these sort of things that he got involved in. And just just from a, a fan's perspective, I knew probably that was all going to go um which it which it has done really and that's i think that's a really sad thing um they do tend to stick to the same set list which i can understand because it's it's a lot easier they can make sure everything's running spot on on the show in terms of the lights the screens and everything but yeah i just i i, I do miss that spontaneity whereby you could go to a show and something random could be thrown to the set list that only you're going to see on that particular night so yeah that's I knew that would go, and that was probably the sad thing. Um, you know, Mike Portnoy is a great drummer. You could replace him with someone who is a fantastically gifted musician, but can you replace the character behind the drum set? It's like replacing Keith Moon with Gavin Harrison. You know, it's just <laughs> it's a difficult one. You know, so but that that was the reality of it. They had to to, to move on, and obviously, Mike Mangini is coming in done a great job. Um, can't fault what he's done, really. So my co-host Brian, again he mm. uh, he can't be on, but he does have a question for you. We've already gotten to you know your favorite record, but he says, "Sorry, I can't be in studio with you guys. Wanted to pop in quickly and ask, what is Rich's favorite song from Dream Theater?" Mm. Yeah, that's a difficult one. I think the thing is, again, with the first album, because it was sort of a period in my life when I was at college, didn't have a lot of money, you would buy an album and you would listen to it for three or four weeks before you could afford to buy another one. So only a matter of time has always got a, you know, for me is always one of the finest tracks just because I've listened to it that many times. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's impossible, isn't it? Uh, you know, Metropolis is fantastic. Um, I could listen to that all day. Um, I mean, there's been some good tracks on some of the recent albums as well. I like Barstool Warrior. That was a good one. Um, quite influenced by Rush, that, isn't it? Um, a little bit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard It's hard to pick one out, really. 
I mean, you're a big Rush fan as well, aren't you? So, yeah, my my co-host that's that's his band. And yeah, I'm not quite as familiar as he is, um, but I mean, yeah, some, some of the, like Barstool Warrior, like I said, definitely Rush mm. influence, and they've got a couple others, you know, that you know on the new record, you know, they've got one, and uh, on the self-titled, um, yeah, I. <laughs> Man, that Barstool War is good. Yeah, only a matter of time is great. Have, have you have you ever caught that song live? Any of the yeah. shows you've been to? Yeah, it was great. Um, I can't remember. They may have played that at Radio City, which I was lucky to be at. Um, but I can't remember. But that I love that song. Um, yeah. So you were at, you were at Score? Yeah, I got really lucky. I ended up in the orchestra pit, so I was right at the front, and that wasn't that wasn't like a freebie guest list job. I just got lucky when I bought the ticket, you know. So. <laughs> It was insane, um, but yeah, that was that was great. Um, I must say, I was, the access they gave me was was unbelievable. Um, I was in the studio when they were recording Octavarium and had the orchestra in and the you know recording those parts. I was just so lucky, really. I can't thank them enough for it. It was just a, a great time time doing it. Um, but yeah, you can't pick a favorite song, really. I think it's there's so many. Um, it's hard to sort of narrow it down to to just the one. Yep. I mean, you're probably the same. I mean, you, you, it's hard to pick one, isn't it? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I I actually do have one that I single out frequently. It's Trial of Tears. Mm-hmm. Um, just something about that song just resonates with me. Um, but if I had to go and say, you know, beyond that, it it's, like you said, it's it's pretty yeah. much impossible. You know, there's yeah. so many. And, and and the cool thing is, like you said, like the, the you know, you kind of, you know, hinted at this, you, you know, the, the quality of the records just has remained solid throughout. And as a result, you know, it, it's hard to really pick a favorite because there's not really a down period mm. of their career. So, you know, there's songs on, you know, you know, Distance Over Time that I love. There's songs, you know, on When Dream and Day Unite that I love and. I mean, there's there's something on every record that's you know really it really stands out. So yeah, the Count of Tuscany that's another one that's fantastic. I could listen. That, yeah, it's just another epic, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wish my co-host was on. That's 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 his go-to. Count of yeah. Tuscany is Brian's go-to. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's yeah. It's it's, it's great, and and the, and the latest album's great as well. But at, um, I think it's probably the best album in about ten years. You know, it's just it is really consistent. Um, yep. But. I think the astonishing was quite diversive, wasn't it? Really, I mean, you probably you probably got your finger on the pulse of Dream Theater fans more than I have, but I imagine <laughs> it was kind of a, a love it or hate it album, wasn't it? Really, it's exactly how it is. <laughs> and, uh, I'm 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 in the I'm in the love it camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it's like the most Dream Theater thing that they've they've ever yeah. done, and I just I I to me it's you know, um, I love the balls. In you know, in 2016, you know, 2017, whatever, like to come out with a double concept record in an era of people downloading music and they just want things in little two and three minute bits. Yeah. And they're like, nope, here's two and a half hours. <laughs> like, yeah, that was such a such a dream theater thing to do. Yeah, I think musically I loved it. I think lyrically I kind of got a bit of a Star Wars 20 and 2112 vibe off it. Um, so yeah, it's probably not one of my favourites. I'll be honest, but you can't deny that it's you know, in terms of what's on there, it's it's great. But it just doesn't grab me as much as some of the other albums do. Yep. Um, so, so you talked about you know a minute ago you were in the studio, mm. 
you know, as they were recording Activarium. And obviously you saw stuff, you know, again, professionalism, you can't put everything in the book. But is there anything that you can tell us um, that won't get you in trouble, <laughs> you know, from being in the studio and seeing how they work together? Is there any stories that you can tell us from actually being in that inner circle with them? Um, not really. They're just, they're just hugely professional. I mean, it was obvious that really at that time, Mike and John were kind of controlling things and, you know, determining how many how many takes the guys would do in the in the orchestra and that sort of stuff um but yeah it was just you know it's just ridiculous to be asked to go in there and just yeah just watch them at work but yeah they were just just professional as you'd expect really james wasn't there because obviously his vocals would always go on on later um so i think it's probably good for james in the last album or so he's been more involved um during the writing um because he's got a lot to offer i think you know he's he's he is dismissed a little bit in terms of what he what he can give. And if you listen to his solo album, that album is incredible. It's a fantastic album. Yep. I've listened to that album more than I have the last Dream Theater album. It's really good. Um, and I think it's, you've got them next week, haven't you, I think? Yep, yep. Uh, next, yeah. next next Saturday at 1 p.m. Yeah, we've got mm. him, Chance, and uh, Paul Logue as well. To tell you. I, I'm with you. That that record is, man, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because – you know, when you listen to, I mean, and not, and not just, you know, Beautiful Shade of Grey, mm. but, you know, I don't know if you're a fan of his previous stuff, but, you know, he's got an incredible sense of melody. Yeah. And his writing sensibilities are really strong. Yeah, exactly. I think Paul Logue is, you know, I think that's a really good partnership because Paul Logue is, is, pre, is, is in Eden's Curse and that's another great band as well. So he's got a yep. real keen ear for melody and probably... I don't know. I mean, I might be wrong in saying this, but he's probably written it with James's voice in mind. Whereas, how far did Dream Theater go to accommodate James's voice when they're writing? I don't know. Um, I'm sure they do, but I think it's you can probably spend more time when there's just the two of you writing an album in terms of perfecting how James comes across on on it. Yep. Um, I, but, I I had the, I had the exact same thought. You know, it's, you know, it's, and, and, and granted, I mean, James is writing his own stuff. So obviously it's, you know, but yeah, with Paul, you know, he, you know, he's, I, I thought the exact same thing. He's like, you know, okay, well, how would James hmm. sing over this? How would James sing over this? Whereas, you know, you know, you got to kind of think that Jordan and, and John are probably like, Hey, we're going to put out the most kick-ass prog stuff we can. Mm -hmm. What can you do over top of this? You know, yeah. they, 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 <laughs> so, um, it's. I, it, it's going to be interesting. It, it'll be fun to ask James that question, like you know the you know how it feels to have that sort of freedom outside mm -hmm. of Dream Theater, you know, and to really get his own voice out there. Mm -hmm. Because I, I completely agree with you that I think his contributions to the band are very underrated, mm -hmm. and it's you know I I, I I can't wait to ask him that question. So, um, you know, yeah. So, you know, get, getting back to your book, mm. I. Man, one of, one of my favorite parts of the book, again, is you know the later years, yeah. And you know, you know the the original version stops, you know, after you know systematic chaos. You know, the new the new the new version does pick up with Portnoy leaving mm -hmm. and you know black clouds and stuff like that. But you know, talk a little bit about the vibe of the band at the time when you finished the first the first edition, because you know all those years into their career, they really were just. 
I mean, bigger than they'd ever been. Mm -hmm. And they seemed genuinely happy. And a lot of bands that late into their career, like, you know, they're just kind of going through the motions. But it really didn't feel like Dream Theater was doing that. Yeah, they were. They were they were kind of just at the point of playing arenas. And I think that was a surprising thing is that a really weird time for Mike to leave because it was just that time that when they were on the cusp of staying in arenas. Um, so yeah, it, they seemed in a good place. Um, I remember there was, there was an interview that someone did with John Petrucci where he described the band, this is probably about 10 or 12 years ago, of going into the maintenance phase of the career, which I think is probably, he worded that badly because that sounds as though, you know, they're just going to churn out an album every year and tour and turn into ACDC, you know, or something. But they, ne <laughs> they never did because um, I think they've managed to maintain that credibility and all the, the latest albums, really. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what's going to happen over the next few years, I think. Um, I'm not sure how well the, the last tour did. Um, I think they were still trying to sell out arenas over here, and I don't think they were. So whether things are on the wane a bit, um, I don't know. Uh, what is the general vibe over there? I mean, you know, you mentioned the concert attendance, and I know over here in the States, um, there is a large contingent of people that did not go to shows, you know, Dream Theater being yeah. one of them, saying, well, if I have to wear a mask or if I have to be vaccinated, I'm not going. And that hurt attendance here for, you know, any tour you can think of. Yeah. What, what's, what's the kind of general vibe over there, you know, where you're at? Yeah, I think it's probably the same. I think a lot of people probably didn't buy tickets because they're thinking, A, are they going to come? You know, is it going to be another lockdown or something? And I think certainly the, I haven't been to that many gigs since things opened up, probably two. So it's hard to kind of gauge. Uh, but at the moment, there's a feeling that everything's almost back to normal again, really. So I think things will start to pick up. I mean, I think Dream Theater were wise in that they took out a limited show. So, you know, it wasn't a massive production. It was just, you know, relatively stripped back, still looked good and sounded great. But um, at least that meant if things did get locked down, they weren't taking a hit financially, which so many bands did. Um, so yeah, I think as time goes on, I, I suspect that, yeah, the audience will come back and they'll be back up to playing the numbers that they were before. Um, but yeah, it's, it'd be interesting to see what happens. It's, it's been interesting to see that, you know, Mike Portnoy and James are back on speaking terms again, because I think that was the one block, you know, to them all getting on well together again. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, that that was a crazy story when I when I saw that pop up on Blabbermouth. I was mm. like, "Wow, that's good." Yeah, it was, yeah, it was you know, and I, and I give James all the credit in the world, mm -hmm. you know, for for opening himself up to you know Mike again because, you know, being being truthful, you know that that hot Mike incident that Portnoy had when he you know you know he kind of you know yeah disrespected James and you know we all you know found about I found out about that like that. It, it takes a big man to get over something like that because, you know, I mean, James worked his ass off for, for Mike for how yeah. many years? And especially, you know, like we talked about, you know, the vocal injury he sustained, you know, back on the Awake Tour and it just keep going and going and going. Um, you know, that that had to be really painful. So I give James all the credit in the world for, you know, yeah. for doing that and everything. And 
you know, and and you know, but just like from a, a fan standpoint, of you know, it's cool to see old friends reconnecting. You know, because you don't want to think of a band you're fr- you're, you're you're a fan of hating each other. You know, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. I mean, the Liquid Tension stuff that was good as well to hear those those three get together again. Obviously, with with Tony Levin. But I mean, yeah, how far that will go, I don't know. Yep. Do Do you think? Uh, I mean, everybody asks this question. Like, I personally don't don't care about this question. But yeah, do, do you do you think they'll ever get back together with with Portnoy for anything? I'd be hugely surprised if they didn't at some point down the line, you know, whether that's a, a creative decision or a business decision, you know, or a, just something to do for fun, a big reunion to celebrate, you know, the same with, with Charlie, you know, um, yep. and do a one-off show where they try and get all, all the old members back in again. Yeah. I think that would happen certainly, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, Certainly, I think if Mike Portnoy did go back in, it would be, it would have to be a completely different arrangement than what it was before he left, because he did, you know, run a lot of things. Um, so he'd probably have to go back and just take a bit more of a step back if it ever happened. But um, I'd like to see it, but that's just because you know, sentimental and just to see it again. That's yep. so. I don't know. I think there's just a lot of people that are. In the same way people find the astonishing divisive, they probably find Mike Porton a bit dis- divisive as well. You know, you look on the forums, it's, you know, who's a better drummer and, yeah. So I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I I don't get into all that stuff. Like, I mean, I th- I yeah. think, I think like you said, I, th- I think like a kind of like a celebration concert type thing. Mm. I don't think, you know, uh, the, the one thing, the one thing I absolutely love about Dream Theater is that, you know, they are loyal. They're like just good people, you know, and, mm. and you obviously found that out like firsthand right in the book and i love that they're loyal you know and you know they flat out said excuse me um you know mangini is our drummer till we're done and i i love that loyalty so you know i i I agree with you i i think you know we'll probably see a one-off and he'll get on stage at some point and everything and yeah the, the, the the thing that i wonder about it though i wonder if they can do that because there is going to be that segment of the fan base that says, oh, now you got to get them back full time. They won't just accept that it's a one-off concert. You know what yeah. I mean? So I think that's going to be a difficult thing for them. I think I think it would be. I think I, practically whether I just don't know whether there's the the want for them to do it or not. You know, life's probably easier for them with Mike Mancini in the band. Just as I say before, there's none of that statless changing. There's yeah. That, that it's probably more of a democracy than it was before, uh, but you always need one or two people to to lead the ship. So, yeah, I don't I don't know if they'd ever do it. I just hope that they hope they do, because um, certainly you know watching them on stage when you had Mike Portnoy behind the drums, it was yeah, it, it was more entertaining. And you know, that's not to diminish Mike Mangini because he's a fantastic drummer, but it's not that it doesn't seem right watching them without him there even though it's been what 13 years so yeah yeah. so i have to ask you because i was there as well Hmm. talk about how incredible like how incredible being at radio city was in 2006 for score that was that was how that 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 experience for me was absolutely incredible so yeah it was it was insane i mean the the good thing about it was it was it was really great there was a couple of people on the Mike Portnoy forum who were really helpful to me when I was writing the book. There's a guy called Scott Hansen, whose knowledge is insane. And there was Ray Beardsley, who again, ran the, ran the website and he was 
yeah, also supportive and just knew everything to do with DT. So it was nice to meet up with those guys and then end up in that. I mean, you know, I'd never realized how big Radio City was before I went in there. It's huge. And just to be able to watch them at close quarters doing, yeah, the, the first part of the set and then the second half when there's the full orchestra on stage, it was, it was, it was great. Really, really unbelievable. Um, did you think, know that? Did you know that they were going to have a, a, an orchestra for the second half of the show, or is that a surprise to you as well? No, I knew. Um, okay, but it, I was surprised how well it worked. You know, but yeah, I, they had it all scored out, obviously, and it just sounded fantastic. Really, um, I remember John Petrucci was wasn't very well at that show at all. He had a really bad flu, so he did well to get through it, but. Um, but yeah, it was it was great, and obviously then the DVD comes out, and you can just just relive it. I mean, yeah. So I take it you were there. Do you say? I yeah I uh, I was there, and uh, I actually ended up in the documentary uh, on the <laughs> nice. second disc. So I, I I'm that guy. I'm in, I'm in your book. I'm in I'm in there. You know their their DVD. Um, yeah, that was man. It was like you said. Like I didn't I didn't know how big it was either. Yeah. It's the first time I I had been there. And it was just mind-boggling how good they sounded, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned, like you know, John not being very healthy mm. at the show because, you know, I remember that. Like I, I had read something at the time, you know, s- seeing that, and the two weeks prior to Radio City, the second-to-last show they did before that was here in Cleveland, mm-hmm. where I live, and James was sick as a dog. Mm-hmm. And he he was on stage and in between songs he would say hey sorry I, and if you if he wouldn't have said he was sick you wouldn't have known it was incredible yeah. to the point where you know the encore was learning to live and he hit that super high note at the end I'm like this guy <laughs> this guy's a superhero man like he's got the yeah. flu and he's doing that so they must have been passing it around the bus or something yeah but, <laughs> exactly but yeah we 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 did not know obviously about um, the orchestra and. One of my favorite parts of rewatching the show is when the the curtain comes up and you hear the crowd just explode. Like having been there, knowing that that is honest to God surprise. I looked at my buddy like, "What the hell are we seeing? Oh my God!" Like <laughs> it was it was so cool and just one of those one of those perfect dream theater moments where they they just give you more than what you pay for. Yeah, you know, and you know, bringing it full circle back to your book. Um, you know, I think you did that with with your novel. You know, not not being a fanboy because you're on the show, but you know, we talked for a few minutes before we jumped on here. It is a fantastic book, and it really digs deep into the band. Um, it's definitely not a surface level fluff piece in any way. Any anybody watching this and listening to this, you've got to go buy this book. It is if you are a fan of Dream Theater, you are going to love everything about this book. It's such a great deep dive, and man, I. I, I can't tell you enough how much I love the book, Rich, and it's like it's, it's I love hearing the stories about it and everything. And um, do, do you have a favorite memory from that time period of of working on this and and getting it you know put together? It was just it was just all brilliant, you know. I, I mean, I've written a book since then on Porcupine Tree, which was completely the opposite. There was <laughs> no band involvement, so you're really yeah struggling to to get momentum on it. So. Yeah, just to have that access and, yeah, you know, be, being in the studio, watch them record an album, I mean, it doesn't get better than that, for, you know, because I was a fan, but at the same time, you have to have that distance, you know, between you so that you don't, you can ask the awkward questions, I suppose. Um, and that's difficult, I think. Um, 
I mean, I was interviewing Jordan for about six, seven weeks ago. And you have to ask a difficult question because all over the internet, there's all this stuff about his James lip syncing. So you have to ask that question, which is, yeah, it's difficult. Um, but that's, that's the job, I guess. You've got to ask the difficult questions as well as, you know, um, enjoy being a fan. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was all great. The access was fantastic. And the fact that I didn't have to have anything edited by anyone, it was just came out as I'd written it. It was just, yeah, it's just unbelievable. Really, really enjoyed writing. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And so many other people still seem to enjoy it, even though it's years since it came out. It, it means a lot. It's like I say, it, we're giving away a copy here today. I mean, I, I definitely want, you know, our fans to check it out if they haven't. So again, guys, uh, Send us an email at talkingintoinfinity at gmail.com. And the first response we get, I will send you a copy of Lifting Shadows, Rich's Phenomenal Dream Theater Biography. Um, so won't keep you too much longer, Rich. I appreciate yeah. your time. Just you know, a little bit longer here with you, if you don't mind. So were there questions you asked that they flat out would not answer? <laughs> no no i don't think so there was there was something in that there was a little bit of i can't remember when it was but there was a suggestion that maybe they were thinking of replacing john myung with uh dave larue i think it was at some point in the history and that's in the book but so i think it was more said you know after after a couple of beers on the back of the tour buses you know <laughs> would it be great to play with him rather than Seriously thinking of, of, of taking John Mayung out of the band. But yeah, so that was something that was kind of, I had to dodge a little bit. Uh, but no, they were just so open. I mean, you know, no one refused to answer a question. There was nothing of note that was taken out. So yeah, just just lucky. No censorship and everyone's very open and, and friendly, really. <laughs> I. Wow, I did not expect that. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't pick I can't picture anybody but John Mayunga in that spot. That's no. like we talked about removing Portnoy, like, oh my God, but it, it almost feels more weird to not have John Mayung up there. Yeah. <laughs> like like I'm, I'm thinking of Dave LaRue. I'd be like, Who the hell is this guy? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So it yeah, I it, I'm sure it's in the book. If it isn't, I've dropped I've I've dropped a, a clanger, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. So yeah. That, but that yeah, it would never have happened realistically because he is just again integral part of the band, isn't he? Um, yep. So yeah, and we had um we talked to Monty Monty Colvin from the Galactic Cowboys a couple mm. months ago, and he was you know talking about my young and he was t talking about tour stories from the Images tour, um, and he said it's like seriously that guy never stops playing bass like we'd be out like hanging out at a bar or something, getting food or whatever. And he's just in his hotel or in the, you know, in the bus just playing bass. Like that's all the hmm. guy does. And yeah, I'm sure it's like a meditation for him. I genuinely, I was at, um, I did a, a big festival gig in England and I was sort of backstage there. And whilst the rest of the band are in there sort of, you know, in the cabin backstage, John's at the side of the stage, just practicing bass literally on his own for 45 minutes just playing away so i'm sure he just does it to relax <laughs> but, <laughs> have yeah. you seen have you seen his little on stage kind of like he's got that like private little room he's have you seen that have you actually seen that yourself or no no i've heard about it but i've never seen it so okay. yeah i'm sure it's 
yeah, he's he's it's just I think it's probably just his way of handling the pressure, really. Um, yep. just to constantly be practicing and yeah, almost like meditating for him, I think. But, uh, I, I've always loved that concept that he's, you know, it, to me, it's he just only cares about playing. He's like, I'm gonna have my own little private thing. I don't want to do the interviews. I don't mm. want to do the, you know, the all this other stuff. Like, I just like playing music. Like, I just think it's so pure. Yeah, I I, I love that. You know, and, and some people have a problem with it. Like, oh, you know, we don't see or hear from John Myung very much. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool though, right? I mean, yeah, you don't want him to be like a big, you know, blown up ego. It's it's nice to yeah. see that he still just does it for the same reasons he did it when he was, you know, back at Berkeley. Yeah. I think Jordan's the same, really. I think he's one of those people who'd be just happy just playing the piano anywhere. You know, if he was in a bar or wherever, he just, just wants to play, really, um, which is, yeah, it's a good thing. Yep. Yeah, it's it sucks. He's coming. He's uh, July 9th. He's playing like 25 minutes from me, and I got a mm. show of my own. And I can't make it. I was, ugh, because it's, you know, it's a, small, it's a smaller place. It's intimate. Mm. And to see, I mean, I'm sure you've done this. You know, you're a big music fan yourself. When you see a talent of that caliber in a small little environment like that. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it is. I saw Marillion played a restaurant once. That was an interesting one. You know, it's just, <laughs> wow. just that was great as well. But it is, it just, it just, you can't beat experiences like that. Seeing great musicians in a small space rather than, you know, arena gigs are bad for that because you're always miles away from the stage. So it's nice to see them in a, yeah, more confined space, really. But. Yep. Well, Rich, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. Uh, again, I'm a huge fan of the book. Uh, guys, thank if you. you would like to get a copy, uh, very welcome, man. Uh, guys, if you would like to get a copy of Lifting Shadows, just shoot us an email at talkingintoinfinity at gmail.com. And the first response we get, I will send you a copy of Lifting Shadows. Uh, Rich, what else you got? what else you got going on right now? What are you working on? Uh, no books. I'm, I'm doing magazine work for Prague magazine. So that's the main sort of, um, yeah, output that I'm working on. Um, so yeah, the porcupine tree book, I'm, I need to update that at some point. Um, yeah, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Awesome. Well, so. man, thank you so very much for coming on. Uh, it's been fantastic talking to you again. Thanks for making the time. Thank uh, you. guys, you're very welcome guys. Don't forget. We are live on Saturday, June 25th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Paul Logue, Chance Labrie, and James Labrie, and we will be doing a deep dive into James's fabulous new solo record, A Beautiful Shade of Grey. Don't forget, if you're watching on YouTube, click that like and subscribe button so that you get notified every time we go live. And until next time, I've been your host, John. Rich, thank you again. And guys, we'll see you. Carpe diem. Hey everyone, thanks for checking out Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater podcast. Just wanted to remind you that we want you to be a part of the show. If you give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Twitter, at T-I-I-D-T podcast, we post the schedule of when we are recording the show live. It is a streaming video platform on our Facebook and YouTube pages, and it has a live chat feature where you can comment on the show, ask questions, and we can bring your remarks up on the screen and have you drive the conversation. So, again, give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at T-I-I-D-T Podcast. And come hang out with us and be a part of the show. Thanks again and carpe diem. <laughs>